You know, I talk with Ida a lot, and she's chomping at the bit to go home. And I'm not ready to, to pray that she gets to go. I just, I think about her, and I think how much she wants to go. And um, anyway, I just, I had to bite my tongue. So I'm just not ready to say goodbye. So, um, as promised, we are starting the book of Acts. It's a New Testament book. It's, I've been uh, looking forward to starting this. It's called the Acts of the Apostles. It's also known as the Acts of the Holy Spirit, which uh, I think is a better title because it's through the Holy Spirit coming upon the people, the apostles, apostles that helps them to accomplish everything that they accomplish. On their own, they do absolutely nothing. So I look at it as the Acts of the Holy Spirit, which is the message that we're going to be looking at today. And as we go through this book, I hope that you are challenged, uh, as I feel like I have been challenged reading through this book, to, to maybe do church a little bit differently. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things in there that our church does or that churches do, but there are things that maybe we could improve and work on. So hopefully God will challenge you. You'll be excited to live out your faith in a new and exciting way, just as the early church did. Getting out of our comfort zone, doing something that just seems out of the norm, and saying, okay, I'm going to do this, God, because you're asking me to. There is an awful lot throughout this book. A lot of it you're going to be familiar with. Uh, one of the things that we're going to find out through the book of Acts is how Jesus exits stage left. The Holy Spirit exits or enters stage right as Jesus said would happen. He said, well, when I leave, the Holy Spirit is going to come down and he's going to teach you and he's going to help you. And in John chapter 14, you find uh, Jesus telling the disciples that was going to take place. Uh, in this passage, you're going to read one of the greatest revivals ever. Peter preached the message. must have been a dynamite message. 3,000 people got saved, and the church grew from about 120 to three, over 3,000 people. We're going to watch as the disciples take the faith that they have, as small as it is, go out to all the world and make their faith their own and fulfill the Great Commission that Jesus gave to the disciples to go and to preach the gospel uh, in the, rem the close areas and, and expand and get farther out to the ends of the earth. We're going to meet Saul, who later, who is the persecutor of the Christians, turned Paul, who is now the defender of the faith, who goes on three different missionary journeys and writes in numerous books of the New Testament. We're going to see the Jews realize and learn that salvation is not just for the Jews, that God loves you and I as well, the Gentile people, and it's a tough lesson that they need to learn. We're going to see miracles, imprisonments, escapes, persecutions and changed lives intertwined throughout all of this. And hopefully you're going to learn a lot more than what I even present to you through the Holy Spirit speaking to you through the message and hopefully through what you read in the scriptures on your own. And included in this book, chapter 20, is, the, is one of the dangers of falling asleep in church. So that's not always a good idea. So you might want to read chapter 20 and learn the do's and don'ts of falling asleep in church. Um, today's message is going to be more of a uh, review of, of what has been learned and taught in the past. Uh, and I want to read it to you. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 is where we're going to be today. It says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about Jesus, what Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his sufferings, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Again, let's ask God, through his Holy Spirit, to speak through me to each of us how he wants us to hear this. 
Thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, God, that when you went, when Jesus went to heaven, he didn't just leave us on our own to deal with life on our own, but he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell believers, to help us to live for you, to understand your word, and to accomplish the assignments that you've given us to do. I'm just asking for your Holy Spirit to speak through me in a real and a powerful way, in ways that it's obvious from you and, and not anything that I did or said. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the recipient of this book. In Acts chapter 1, it says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So obviously, the guy who's getting this book or this letter was a guy by the name of Theophilus. The word Theophilus means friend or lover of God. And that's one of the theories about who Theophilus is, is he's just a general term for believers everywhere. Because all of us could be a Theophilus, right? We all can be a friend of God. I can say, Theophilus Connie, Theophilus Darren, Theophilus Steve, a friend of God. But what makes more sense is that Theophilus was not just uh, a term that was given in general for people everywhere. It was a specific person. In Luke chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, you find, Oh, most excellent Theophilus. It's not a term that I don't say, Oh, most excellent Bruce and Kathy. Almost the excellent Dale. We don't talk, and they didn't talk about Christians or other people in that way. It was a term for a higher up person in uh, more of a political authority, such as a Roman official. So we believe that Theophilus was that. And who was the author of, the, of this book? Why, well, I'm very convinced that it's a guy by the name of Luke. And you see that the guy who wrote Theophilus, or wrote the book of Luke, also wrote Acts. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you, and, and by the way, in Luke chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, I wrote to you, O Theophilus. And there's a couple reasons why we think Luke wrote Luke. One is that when you have the Gospels, who wrote the book of Matthew? Matthew, who wrote the book of Mark? Mark, who wrote the book of Luke? Luke. <laughs> Luke wrote the book of Luke. He's given credit to having done that. But also, in the early church, uh, before the 1st or 2nd century, Luke and Acts traveled around together. They were combined. It was just, they were, they were like one bigger book that went together. But when they decided in the first or second century to put the Gospels together, you went Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, Acts doesn't fit as part of the Gospels because Jesus isn't there. And so that put Luke by itself. And that's where you get the, the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. So just, maybe that's not very life-changing, but you get the idea that Whoever wrote Luke also wrote the book of Acts, and the name of that person is uh, Luke, who wrote both of those. And as Luke is writing, he's writing a continuing story. He says, I've already written to you about what Jesus did and taught. Now I'm going to hear or continue and give you the rest of the story. And the, what we're going to start out today was a little bit of a reminder of what was it that Luke first told Theophilus in the first place. Three different reminders. Reminder number one is found in Acts chapter 1. That Jesus lived, Jesus did, and Jesus taught. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that be Jesus began to do and to teach. He's reminding, Luke is reminding Theophilus that, look, I gave you this background story. I told you everything that Jesus has already done. Uh, you know, and it's found in the book of Luke. We can spend about two and a half years looking at what Jesus did and he taught, which is what we did. 
The first year I was here, we started with the book of Luke, and we looked at what Jesus did and what Jesus taught during, the, during his lifetime and what he had written to Theophilus. So since we've already spent two and a half years doing that, we're not going to do that today. We're just going to hit some of the highlights. During Sunday school, I, I, I asked the kids this. I said, what was it that you remember that Jesus did in the New Testament? We have this great big list. I'm not going to read every one of them to you, but I was impressed by the kids and their, their interaction with this. Uh, some of them said that Jesus walked on water. Uh, he caused the blind man to see. He, he raised a man named Lazarus, uh, raised a dead girl named, uh, that was Jairus' daughter. He fed 5,000 people. Um, the woman who was subject to bleeding for, for several years, he helped her when she touched the edge of his robe. Um, and he was baptized. So there's numerous things that Jesus did that are recorded in the book of Luke. Then we, we talked about what was it, what were some of the things that Jesus taught to the disciples through the book of Luke. We had parables, and there were numerous parables Jesus taught. Uh, we, we talked about loving your enemies. We talked about prayer. We talked about not worrying. We talked about repenting. We talked about uh, being a light. We talked about the gospel. How Jesus, uh, we talked about the cost of being a disciple. And those are some of the things that we touched on that Luke had mentioned to Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and to, that Jesus taught. Theophilus could go back and read through that letter that Paul wrote or that Luke wrote to him over and over and see this is what Jesus did. Now I don't think and I desperately hope that that was not a shock to you. I didn't know Jesus fed 5,000 people. I didn't know Jesus healed a, a dead man's daughter. I didn't know Jesus walked on water, right? These are things that we all should know. Maybe we don't know all the facts about it, but they're not anything shocking. Jesus talked about loving your enemies. Jesus talked about worry. All these kinds of things I hope are reminders to say, yes, Josh, I have heard these things before. And that's what and that we don't want. We don't want this to be a brand new lesson. We want this to be a refresher course. And if it is a brand new lesson to you, if you didn't know Jesus fed 5,000 people, if you didn't know Jesus walked on water, I want to encourage you to take this beautiful book and start reading it a little bit more until those stories become a little bit more solidified in your mind. The miracles that Jesus did were proof to the people that God was working through him. It was a proof of God's power. It was a demonstration to them that Jesus wasn't just some guy randomly running around but it was God's Son accomplishing God's work in the world. The lessons that Jesus taught were God's words that were meant to be lived out. Everything that Jesus said to the disciples that Luke is reminding Theophilus about were not just suggestions. They were everything that Jesus had intended and expected that the disciples would fulfill and obey 100%. And I think Luke is reminding Theophilus about this, that everything that Jesus told his disciples to do, he wanted them to do. So Theophilus, Jesus really did exist. And so your life better change because of it. And Jesus really did write these things or say these things. He expected the disciples to follow them, Theophilus. So guess what, Theophilus? God's expecting you to do with these things. God's expecting you, Theophilus, to put these things into practice. This was not just a history lesson for Theophilus. 
This is a reminder that, yes, in fact, Jesus really did live. And he had the power of God working in him who really did miracles. And he really did teach things that were meant to be carried out. So reminder number one is that Jesus lived, Jesus did, and Jesus taught. Reminder number two is that Jesus died and that he rose again. Verse 3. It says, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. You know, when uh, Theophilus found out about Jesus, he had already died and he had already risen again. But we talked about in Sunday school, how many people saw Jesus die? We don't have a number, right? But we know gobs and gobs of people from all over the area were there when Jesus died, it was like if you didn't know, you were, how could you not know? You would have been dead or in the twilight zone during that time. You would have had to have known that Jesus died. But how many people saw Jesus rise again? We're going to touch on those numbers in just a few minutes. But everybody knew Jesus died, but not everybody knew Jesus rose again. And Theophilus maybe is wondering or is having doubts about this fact that, yes, you're, you're telling me Scripture says it, but there's all this background noise saying that Jesus never rose from the dead. Maybe he's having doubts about this, and Luke is trying to reassure him. The gospel that Luke had written to Theophilus was, this is more background, it's a more of a reminder of what Luke has already told Theophilus about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. In Luke chapter 24, you find out that these women went to the tomb to go and anoint Jesus' dead body with oil. What did they find when they got there? They didn't find a dead body. They found an empty tomb. They found angels that were talking to him or talking to the women. And they said, this is what the angels said. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. Luke is telling Theophilus, this is what really happened. Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead. Continuing in Luke 24, what Luke would have told Theophilus, or what he would be familiar with, and hopefully believing, was there was two men on the road to Emmaus. They're, as they're walking, they have this encounter with Jesus. And they, they realize that Jesus is Jesus. They hightail it back to the disciples and they tell them, we saw Jesus. They got, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. These two men went and told all the disciples, saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then they told, the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized them by them when he broke the bread. And there's even more proof that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead. Anybody know what it was? A continuation in that chapter, the, the best example of all. Jesus showed up amongst the disciples and said, Hey, look, guys, here's proof. Look at my hands. Look at my side. I will eat something. I'm going to prove to you that I have, in fact, risen from the dead. Theophilus has heard all this. He knows from what Luke has written that Jesus did not just die and stay in the ground. He learned from Scripture, from what Luke wrote him, that Jesus did, in fact, rise again. There's other verses 
about this that Luke did not write, but it talks about the numbers of people who saw Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 6, it says, For what I received, I pass on to you as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And he was buried, and then he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. And he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time. When Jesus rose again, he didn't go running down the street and say, Hey, Neener, 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 you guys put me on a cross. Look at me now. Ha ha. I'm still alive. He kept silent to all those people. He said, I'm going to go show myself to the disciples and to 500 people at the same time. It's their job now to go out and share the good news with everybody else that Jesus rose from the dead. So there's many convincing proofs. Um, in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, he showed himself to the disciples and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them for 40 days, and he talked about the kingdom of God. He gave them a command that they were supposed to be waiting for this gift of the Holy Spirit before they went out and did something. This was not just history for Theophilus. It wasn't to win some Bible trivia game. This was something that was supposed to have an impact on his life, that Jesus did live. That Jesus did die and he rose against the awful. So guess what you have? You have hope. You have hope that Jesus conquered death. That Jesus paid from the cross for your sins. The awful, so that you can have eternal life. You can live your life and your faith with confidence. Because this is really true. Reminder one that Luke gave to Theophilus. Was that Jesus did in fact live and that he died. Or that he lived, that he did and that he taught. Reminder two was that Jesus did in fact die on the cross for your sins, but he rose again. But reminder number three is that Jesus is in heaven. Until the day he was... Let me reverse. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about what Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Luke is telling Theophilus, Jesus is up in heaven. He didn't just die and stay in the ground. He rose again. And he's, he's going to come back. He, you're not going, he's up in heaven, by the way. You're not going to see Jesus walking around. Right? You weren't around with one of those 500 people. He's not going to come back and start walking around and show you that he's alive. You've got to take my word for this, Theophilus. In verse 9 through 12, we find that Jesus wrote, went up to heaven. Uh, in verse 12, we find that they were on the Mount of Olives. It says they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. This is where they are at when Jesus left. Verse 9 says, um, after Jesus had talked to them about the Holy Spirit coming upon them and being his witnesses into all these places, he says uh, he was taken up before their very eyes and the cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking up intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men stood beside them. And men of Galilee, they said, Why are you standing here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Luke is reminding Theophilus about this. He touches on it a little bit at the end of Luke 24. There's a lot greater detail about Jesus being up in heaven that we're going to be looking at next week. I've already mentioned, I don't think this is a life shocker. I mean, I don't think this was like mind-blowing information, right? You recognize these verses. 
you recognize the miracles. You recognize parts and pieces of this. And if not, I would encourage you to get deeper into God's word and make it your own. We have here three, three reminders for Theophilus that he already knew. And Luke is giving them to him. But as like I said, it's not just for history's sake. It's not just for information to fill his brain up with. It's information that Luke is counting on Theophilus taking and doing something with it. And it's three reminders that I think God has given to us in Pleb Montana in the year 2021. And he's expecting us to do something with it as well. The first one is that Jesus lived and he did and he taught. He really existed. He walked around the earth like history says. Uh, before Sunday school, Darren and I talked a second about the author, uh, a guy by the name of Josephus, who was a Jewish historian. It backs up the fact that Jesus walked on this earth. This guy just wrote down history. He's just a historian. He wrote about when Jesus rose from the dead. Just his history. There was proof that Jesus lived and he did and he taught. It started what we looked at at Christmas time, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came to earth as a baby and to poor parents. And he grew up in a poor country. And then for three years he did miracles. And he taught the people. And he loved the people. And he gave his word to people. And all the teachings that you find in Luke that Theophilus gave to, or that uh, Luke gave to Theophilus, that God gave to us, these are not just suggestions. Jesus really lived, he really did, and he really taught. He really existed. He really spoke. And he wants us. And I've been challenged by this a lot longer than you guys have, at least for a week and a half, about making sure that I take it as the gospel truth. That I am and making sure that it, I'm trying extra hard to put this into practice because this is what God wants us to do. So reminder number one is that Jesus is real. He really did teach. And he's really expecting you to put his words into practice. It's a lifelong process. As you go, hopefully you improve with that, as God is challenging me daily to improve, to put God's word into practice. They are not suggestions. They are commands that he's expecting us to follow. Number two is that Jesus died and Jesus rose again. Why did Jesus die? He died on the cross to take our punishment for our sins. He really did do that. It's not just a, a, an interesting story on, on Sunday to try to make people behave better. Jesus really did, in fact, die on the cross to take your punishment for your sin. But he rose again to give you eternal life. And it's a reminder that if you don't know Jesus, you've got to make it right with Jesus now. Right? Whoever's watching this online, whoever's in here, if you don't know Jesus, you've got to make it right with Jesus now because he really did die and he really did rise again. And if that's true, guess what we need to do? We need to try to share that with other people. Because Jesus didn't just die for me. He died for you. He died for those people right next door as well. So reminder number one, Jesus really did live, did and taught. Reminder number two is that Jesus died and rose again. Reminder number three is that Jesus is now in heaven. It's what the scripture says, and as Jesus is in heaven, he's interceding for us. He, whenever Josh sins, he says, Father, I paid for that. Forgive him again. 
for doing the same thing that he shouldn't have done. He's waiting up in heaven for us to turn to to say, God, please help me with whatever I'm struggling with. And he's, as he's up in heaven, it says here uh, in verse 11 that he's going to come back. He's not going to stay up in heaven and stay there forever. And just the Holy Spirit's going to be there down here forever and just let life go as it is. Jesus is going to come back as a ruling king. He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years before this world gets wiped out and we get a brand new one. He is going to come back. And my question for you, it's the same question that I have to ask myself about this, that I yelled at the, the kids in the high school class in a smiling way. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about the fact that Jesus actually taught things that he's expecting you to follow? What are you going to do about the fact that Jesus did die and rise from the dead like the scripture says? What are you going to do about the fact that Jesus is in heaven right now and he's going to come back? Are you going to store this in my memory bank and then walk out the door and hope I remember it and then let my life be whatever it's going to be? Uh, Darren prayed a, a really good prayer. Let it be obvious, I mean, in my own words, let it be obvious to the world tomorrow that I was in church today, that I'm a Christian today. Let it not just be a Sunday thing. Let it be something that I take with me throughout the week. So that's one option is you can just put it inside your memory bank and say, you know what, next time the Bible trivia question comes up, I'm ready. I'm going to whoop the pastor. <laughs> that could be what you, you might be thinking. Or you might just say, you know what, I'm not really interested in all that. I can barely stay awake through that. Um, I'm, after church, we got football. We got whatever else we want to do. Um, and so I'm not really concerned about that. Yep, you, you have a clever way of putting it. I like the pictures. I like the colors, but whatever. Or option number three, are you going to let it change your life? Are you going to believe this and trust this and say, okay, I'm going to try a little bit harder to take this is God's word and put it into practice. I'm going to live my life like Jesus died and rose on the cross for me. And I'm, uh, I'm going to change my life accordingly. I'm going to try to share this with other people. I'm going to be watching and waiting as if Jesus is going to come back at any moment because really he could. The question I just want to leave you with, what are you going to do about it? I, I encourage you to do the right thing. To take it as God's word, as the gospel truth, and let it change your life. Anything else is, is not a good option. Take God's word as God's word. Rely on it. Put it into practice. Leslie was uh, reminding me the other day, uh, or yesterday, about the man who built his house upon a rock. And the guy who built his house upon the sand. He had the guy with the, the sand had the easy foundation. He had the easy house. Everything looked good. But when the storms of life came, it was worthless. You build your life on Jesus. You have salvation. You build your life on God's word. When those troubling times come, you are prepared. This is God's word to you. What are you going to do about it? Father God in heaven, I thank you for your word. God, this is a, a very challenging message if we're going to try to do everything that you have asked us to do. There are so many hard things to do, God. There are so many things to get out of our comfort zone that we may not want to do. Loving my enemies, um, going to church, not worrying, all these things that I, that I just naturally want to, to struggle with, God. But yet we see in your word that we need to turn to you. We need to do what your word says. And God, for 2021, I, I want that to be a resolve or a determination in my life that I'm going to be better serving your word and serving you this year than I've ever been in my entire life. I pray that for each of us, that we would just naturally have that desire, that you would bring the truth of your word to our mind when we need it so we're ready to obey it when the opportunity comes. 
I pray this in Jesus' name.